the masters almost surely have a plan This clearly may be something near beyond the realm of man And until you've thoroughly tested every last close trusted view I find the more you think you know, the less you really do That's true, Dr. Zayas Where would we be without THC? All right, higher side chatters. I think most of us will agree that we're living in a highly charged and emotionally erratic era, and sometimes bringing it back to Earth is just the medicine we need. Because it's hard to separate truth from fiction with such a finely tuned propaganda and perception management machine in full swing, and it's just as upsetting to see lifelong alternative thinkers throw their support behind a privileged upper-crust douchebag with zero historical record of helping anyone outside of his tiny circle. So we're going to save the random guessing and wishful thinking for another day and instead just dive into exactly what our government is actually doing on paper. To do this, we're bringing back my friend and yours, Jennifer Briney, the host of the popular political watchdog podcast, Congressional Dish, where she walks her listeners through the sideshow circus that is our governmental process and breaks down in each episode exactly which bills are being introduced in Congress, who's behind them, and which ones actually become law. As I'm sure you can imagine, it can be a daunting, dull, and depressing task to navigate the shady backdoor deals, the overwhelming influence of corporate lobbyists, and the complete lack of public accountability, but it still beats the old 9 to 5. Here she is, America's walking, talking cliff notes, the great curator of congressional content, Jen Briney. Welcome back to The Higher Side. Thank you so much for having me. That's the best intro of my life. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. I appreciate that. My job is done. But it is great to talk to you again. Always a pleasure. And you're sort of a polarizing guest for my rabid fringe audience because you try to encourage people to actually pay attention to their government and vote and actually get involved. And some people are just too cynical for all that. But it is a really interesting time to have you back because it's the end of the first year of the Trump presidency and almost nobody actually knows what's going on. Many people just sort of formed an opinion a long time ago and assume that what's happening is consistent with whatever's in their head. Also, the media hasn't made it any easier to get good information because they're covering his latest tweet or how he drinks water or they're beating the Russia drum. And it's just like a win-win because the networks are getting ratings and they don't actually have to cover anything of substance and it's a perfect smokescreen. But as someone who's able to see past all that, what are your thoughts on the legislation passed this year? Is it business as usual or has the changing of the guard really taken policy in a different direction at all? What's been really fascinating to me is that there really hasn't been much legislation passed into law. I mean, we've named a lot of post offices just like any other year, but it's this month, December of 2017, that I'm especially concerned about because in my experience, I've been doing this podcast now for five years. So I've been reading bills and watching hearings and just kind of learning how Congress operates. And what I've noticed is that most things get signed into law in these giant packages. So we have to fund our government by September 30th of every year. And for the fifth year in a row, they didn't do it. Hmm. And the way it's supposed to work is we're supposed to have 12 different bills because there's 12 different sections of our, our government that need to get funded. 
And instead, what they're going to do is they're going to pass one giant bill that funds the entire government at once for the rest of this year. And that's a great opportunity for them to jam all kinds of things into that giant law that we won't have any time to read. We won't even know they're in there until they're law. And so that's the thing I'm most concerned about. So everything they've been doing this year, I think, is a preparation for this government funding law we have coming. It's supposed to be done on the 22nd of December. I don't think it's going to be. So who knows when they'll actually finish it. But when it's actually done, I think that's when the most sinister things will become law. What's stunning to me is that so far, we've escaped relatively unscathed during the Trump administration as far as actual laws are concerned. There really hasn't been anything too concerning signed. I mean, there. I'm sure we'll get into this, but there was something that had to do with DNA that I was concerned about. That's probably the most concerning one. It was called the Rapid DNA Act. And so it allows these little machines about the size of a printer to go into any police station where they can collect our DNA. Just if we're arrested, you don't have to be convicted of anything. If you're arrested, they can take your DNA and keep it and then put it in the FBI database. So that has me concerned that every police station in the nation will be able to have these now. That's the only thing that's become law this year. That's become law this year. (laughs) That really (laughs) matters to me. But I think we have a hell of a December waiting for us. I think by the time the new year rolls around, we're going to have a different story to tell. Fair enough. And you are so right about the holiday season. It's always a hotbed for the things they don't want us to know about. It's when everybody's looking the other way. It's how we got the Federal Reserve Act signed into law. And I wouldn't be surprised if we see that again. And it also is concerning these giant packages. We've heard just in the past few years so often now, even our own legislators are saying, hey, I didn't have time to read that. The thing's 10,000 pages long and they just gave it to me yesterday and they asked us to sign it. So I'm sure it's going to be more backdoor deals, more corporate favors, a subtle twisting of the knife in the back of the middle class and more stuff that the people we elect don't even read. Yeah. And what I've witnessed this year on the bills they're just working on is rampant corporatism. It's unbelievable right now that I'm watching the TV and they'll talk about the left versus the right when really it's the vast majority of us who earn paychecks for a living versus the owners of society. being those are the two groups and we vastly outnumber them, but they hold all the power and they are changing the laws actively in their favor every single day. I mean, Donald Trump, as the head of this government, is the perfect example of that. He is a walking, talking corporation. He's enforcing laws in a way that benefits corporations, does not benefit normal people. But he sees business owners as his friends. Those are his people. And you can just see from every single agency, whether it's the EPA, Scott Pruitt is the most anti-environmental guy I've ever seen. And he's in charge of the EPA. And no matter which agency you look at, they've put foxes in the hen houses. And so that is what I'm watching and concerned about because it's executive branch and it's definitely the legislative branch. And I'm not really sure what's going on in the judicial branch, to be honest with you. But the way the laws are changing are generally not in our favor if you're someone that earns a paycheck for a living. You're the help and you're not being considered in these laws. Right. And look at Donald Trump's entire life. That is how he's thought of people. You know, he's, he's constantly abusing the people who actually build the structures he makes his money off. And you're so right. The line in the sand is really not left and right. It's up and down. And it's so crazy how they're able to flip that in our heads and get so many people worked up about, you know, which side of the aisle they're on when really you're on the same side and that's the bottom side. 
financially we're on the bottom side, but I yeah. also just the framing of it is like up and down. Like I don't feel like a little guy. I'm not a little guy. I'm a normal person. I work hard. I'm just not greedy. You know, like my yeah. purpose in life is not to collect as much money as possible. And I think that is also a big difference here. There are so many people in government and are not, I don't want to blame the government. These are individuals. There's people in Congress right now, individuals who see the pursuit of money as a worthy lifetime goal, where I see happiness and time with friends and family and stuff like that. I mean, that's the most important stuff to me. These are very different humans that we're dealing with. We're dealing with unchecked greed and they're changing the laws to allow that unchecked greed to happen without any fear of ever going to jail or being held accountable for funneling all the money to this small group of people. And in that respect, I mean, what I'm watching right now is a conversation where people on welfare and people that take food stamps, people on Medicare and Medicaid are all being branded as moochers, right? Why aren't we calling the investor class the moochers? Like, right. I don't understand that. These are people that use their money to gamble on Wall Street because Wall Street really is a giant casino. You're betting on companies. And if those companies do better or fire a bunch of workers and reduce their labor costs, well, then these people get money in their pocket. I mean, it is betting on companies. And yet, we're structuring our entire economy to benefit them. If the stock market is up, then we're pretending all is well in the world, even though wages have been stagnant or falling for my entire lifetime. It's completely warped. And this moocher class, I mean, they can golf every day. They can sit by their pool and literally make millions while the numbers just change on the screen. Like Those are society's moochers. And yet we're calling people on Medicare moochers, people that have worked their entire lives, people that I mean, I we have a janitor here in my building. I was just watching him work and it's like he's sweeping all day and cleaning toilets. And then the guy at the post office, he's had a bad back. I've known this guy for four years. He has a bad back. Christmas is a terrible time for him. It physically hurts him. He's working so hard and he'll probably end up on Medicare. He's not the moocher. Mm -hmm. You know, these rich people by the pool and at the golf courses, those are the moochers. And until we get that framing in our heads and we realize what's happening, that the ultimate moochers are funneling all the wealth to themselves, we're going to keep losing these battles. And right now we've given them the entire U.S. federal government. And it's up to us to vote them out. We do have that power, but we have to understand what's happening first. Absolutely. Well said. And it is also a thing like just sometimes one good tax loophole or one really good deal for a corporation can be enough money to dwarf the entire welfare budget. So this idea that it's always the poor people sucking us down, it's like they don't even have the collective resources to do that. They're barely getting anything. And it is really the corporate welfare that is, if you look at the, the pie, the aspects where we're not getting the money we need, that's where it is. I think you're right. Yeah. Look at us agreeing. <laughs> <laughs> Boom. Beautiful thing. And so... You're also right about corporatization being the name of the game. In your episode about the first 14 bills that Trump did sign into law, it did seem to be nothing but corporate favors and problems for us. You mentioned that the Government Accountability Office was given more busy work and a tighter focus on the penny-pinching kind of spending that actually goes to the poor. Trump also signed into law a bill that stopped requiring oil companies to report payments to and from foreign entities and rolled back some regulations on their pollution and tendency to poison water supplies. Also, Trump has now allowed telecommunication companies to sell our data. So even more people selling that information. And <laughs> those are the things that 
just a few of the things that actually passed this year. So the proof is on paper. We know what's going on. It is. But I think we also have to be careful not to blame all of this on Trump. Right. Because he is just the pen. He's the guy who's signing it into law. That's what's different when it comes to Congress. Congress in the last two years, in the last two years of the Obama administration, they were held back by Obama's veto pen. So what's changed is that a different guy is there to sign it. It's Congress that's writing this. And it's Congress that we have the most control over. So yeah, he's citing this stuff, but these aren't Trump's laws. These are the Republican congressman's laws. We should be blaming Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell above everyone else. I mean, I'm not saying Trump's innocent here at all, but we also have to be very careful about understanding who is actually doing this stuff. Like we can blame Trump completely for the way the law enforcement agencies are operating because he appoints the people that are operating those. But we can't really blame him for those laws because he has no power overriding them. None. Right. That is totally a fair point. And so, you know, on that subject, we should probably throw some shade at one of these congressmen and it'd be uh, Liz Cheney, I guess. Dick Cheney's daughter was voted into the House of Representatives by the brilliant people of Wyoming. Such a wise choice. And, you know, just in her first term, I learned from your show, she's taken over 100,000 from the oil and gas lobby and pushed some legislation to open public lands to the oil companies, which Trump seems to have signed. But there's a great example of someone who really should be a red flag just in the last name alone, getting involved in government and doing exactly what you'd expect a member of the Cheney family to do. Yeah. And she was actually given a very important and powerful position on something called the Rules Committee. So the Rules Committee is its one of these ones that no one knows about, but it's actually my favorite. Because in the House, they get to determine every single bill, whether that bill gets amendments or what they do. They can do a closed rule. And that's I think they've done all closed rules. I don't think there's been a single open rule yet, which means that closed rules don't allow amendments on bills. But they get to touch every single bill that gets passed in the House. And it happens like the night before the vote. They can add things to it in the Rules Committee. It's a very powerful committee. And even though she's a freshman, she's brand new to Congress. Liz Cheney is on the Rules Committee now. So she's gone up in the ranks of power. I mean, obviously, a lot of this is because of who her dad is. But yeah, she's... We have a Cheney in Congress! (laughs) (laughs) Like, how do we allow this to happen? But yeah, she's she's a real mess. I just looked it up. And she's already taken almost $23,000 from oil and gas just this year for her upcoming election. She's taken twenty grand from the war industry. Yeah. So she's just collecting more and more money. She's following in her dad's footsteps, acting on behalf of oil and war. She's a Cheney. We shouldn't be surprised by any of this. But yeah, she's in Congress. And most people don't know that. I can't say I knew that for sure. And you know, millions of people, and we go to these same families. It's ridiculous. And I don't think you've done a full show on the tax reform plan of this year. But I am curious if you've looked into it or what your thoughts are on it, because I've had some people suggest to me that it might be the sole reason they shoehorn Trump into the presidency is to get this thing passed, because, you know, there's a lot of suggestion that our economy is kind of a snowballing problem of debt, that obviously it's going to hit the fan eventually, and that some of this is to bring back the offshore money home to prop up the economy, but also to shore it up to make sure that it's really locked down for those elite families. We're talking about things like the uh, estate tax and the 
the dramatic term is the death tax, but I guess it's the uh, inheritance tax, that they're making a lot of changes in this regard, things that would benefit a guy like Trump wanting to pass his own net worth down to his children. I'm just curious, have you looked much at the at the tax plan or do you have any thoughts on it? I've been following it, but the reason I haven't done an episode yet is because I think that there's almost a 100% chance that this becomes law. The only thing that surprises me about the tax cut bill is that they didn't do it first. Why they went to healthcare first, I will never understand. But yes, this is exactly what the entire Republican Party has been agreeing on and has been salivating over the entire time I've been watching Congress. They want to cut taxes for the wealthy and especially corporations. We really have to look at that corporate rate cut because with all of the loopholes and stuff that we have in our tax code, Yes, our tax rate on paper is currently 35% for corporations, but effectively it's much, much lower than that. And so even on paper, we're going to cut it from 35 to 20%. And when I look at, you know, I look at like the roads and bridges, that's something that I think all of us can agree we need government to do. I can't just go and build a highway. We need to do it together. Well, FedEx is a pretty big corporation. So is UPS. It's their semi trucks that are tearing up the roads, especially on the East Coast when it snows and stuff. Like my little Honda Accord that I hardly ever drive is not the problem. It's giant semi trucks. Those are corporate things. So it's like when I look at our infrastructure, they should be contributing to our society because they use our public common goods to get their crap to everybody. Mm-hmm. And we're going to cut their taxes from 35 to 20%. That's a massive, massive tax cut. And then you also had a very good point, the inheritance tax. This only benefits the wealthy because I don't have an inheritance. Um, right. <laughs> I would be, my life would be so different if I did. But yeah, most of us don't have an inheritance. It's only for rich people. And the way that this is being done is quite truly the shadiest thing I've ever seen. I mean, for instance, today, we're talking right now on Friday, the... I don't even know the date, but we're talking. 15th. Thank you. We're talking on Friday the 15th and the tax bill, the final version of it is going to be released tonight at 530 p.m. So it's the Friday before Christmas week. They're going to release it Friday night. I'm pretty sure that there's going to be some holiday parties this weekend, even in Washington, D.C., maybe even some journalists that are holiday partying. I mean, this is all being done on purpose. It's being written without any Democrats having any say in it at all. So if you want to do the party thing, you really can't blame the Democrats for any of this. They've been completely powerless over the way this bill is being written. I have no idea what's going to end up in the final version here. And they're planning to vote on this on Monday or Tuesday. So unless you're willing to spend this weekend reading the entire time and reading legislation, which is I can testify is not the easiest thing to do. A lot of people in Congress are going to be voting on this without really knowing what's in it. There's a lot of people in the Republican Party that don't read anything, that just vote party line and that you can count on them. There's a few that aren't. We know their names. John McCain, Lisa Murkowski, Susan Collins. Those are the ones that tanked the health care bill. But there's a lot of people that just vote party line no matter what. That's what they're there for. That's why they get money. So yeah, with this one, just because I know ideologically every single Republican is down with this, I'm not bothering to track it as it's being created, A, because that was impossible, but B, because this has become a law. And so I'll read it and tell you what they eventually do. But I would be absolutely shocked if this tax bill fails. I just, I don't see how it's going to. Mm-hmm. I'm with you. And on the subject of current drama, of course, we got to hit net neutrality early on here. I mean, you covered it so well in your last episode. The FCC just ruled on it yesterday. We're both independent. 
online entertainers, I guess I could use the term. Yeah. We use our online income to survive. So it's clearly a big deal. And I'm not sure it's as simple as people are making it out to be, is it? No. And in fact, it's so funny, the feedback I've gotten from that episode, because I wasn't freaking out. And so people are like, don't you understand how important the internet is? And I'm like, yeah, it's only my entire income. Of course, (laughs) I understand. So people are being just crazy about it. And it's, I haven't dealt with this much emotional feedback since Hillary lost. Honestly, Mm -hmm. this is the second wave of the year where I'm just like, whoa, this is completely disconnected from reality. Because my take on it, which when they listen to the episode, they mellowed out. But I am not upset that the regulation was overturned. I'm not happy about it. I don't think it benefits me. But in the same way, I wasn't like, yes, we got the regulation. The reason is it's a regulation. So we're learning something about how government works here. A regulation is the enforcement of a law. And so it's up to whoever is in charge of enforcing the law. So in this case, the FCC, it's whoever is in charge of the FCC at the time they get to determine how the law is enforced. So Tom Wheeler was the FCC chairman during Obama's era, and he decided that he was going to enforce the law in a way that cracked down on some of the internet service providers' practices. This new guy, Ajit Pai, who's actually not that new. He was on the commission at the time, but he's now in charge and he's been against that regulation from the very beginning. So anyone who is surprised (laughs) that it got overturned has not been paying attention. He promised us for years that this is exactly what he was going to do. And in fact, I think that's why he was appointed. So there's nothing surprising about this. The fact of the matter is that the law that's being enforced is a law that was written in 1996 well before we understood what the internet was going to be in our society. In fact, when I watched the hearings from the 1990s, the conversation was about building the internet infrastructure. Well, that's pretty much done. There's some people in rural communities that don't have it yet, mainly because the cable companies don't want to pay to install those wires. But for the most part, broadband's done. We have it. I'm talking to you from my house, and I'm pretty sure you're talking to me from yours. And a lot of people downloaded this either to their phones or via their broadband wire. It's done. And so that's what the 1996 law was talking about when it came to the internet. And that was it. The content side hadn't even been imagined yet. And so the way I'm looking at it is that the internet law has yet to be written, which I see as good news as long as we show up to vote, especially in 2018, because we need to have people we trust in Congress to write that law. And right now, I don't trust these people as far as I can throw them. So that was the second half of my episode. Even if you think that Democrats are the good guys and Republicans are evil, you need to listen to this episode because the Democrats are definitely in favor of censoring the internet. And I can prove it. I did prove it in that episode. So right now, we have a lot of people that are paid off. Party doesn't matter by all kinds of different interests, but they are now seeing the internet as a threat. And my theory on it is that We were operating under their radar for so long, and it wasn't until last election when they did all their usual tricks. But because things like Hillary's emails and the Podesta emails were able to spread as far as they did on the Internet, despite pretty much a media blackout. I mean, they reported that the emails were there, but they weren't reporting on the content. It was the Internet that really spread that stuff. It was the Internet that was really having the real conversation about who do we want in charge here? What are the dangers of this particular person? And when she lost, I think what we're witnessing now is the people in power freaking out and realizing the power of the internet. So these particular individuals are very dangerous and I don't want them writing that law. 
But the hope for the future is we do have the power every two years to change the House of Representatives in particular. The entire House is up for election. And so if we can just get this idea out of our heads that we should sit on the sidelines and it's some sort of source of pride, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my entire life, because the only way you're going to change our society is by making new laws, which means that you need to have people you trust doing it. And so I'm hoping that witnessing the hell that we're in right now and the mess that our government is, I'm hoping that we will step up, elect some people that we trust to govern the internet, and then we can write that law. Because right now, the way it is with net neutrality and all that, it's just going to keep going back and forth, back and forth, because we're trying to enforce a law that doesn't make sense for the internet. It just doesn't. It wasn't written for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's so important for people to know, because a lot of times we just get caught up in these buzzwords and net neutrality is definitely one of those terms that got everybody's panties in a wad. Nobody knows anything about it. And the only difference I really see between Democrats and Republicans is which corporate sectors get the most, most benefits, which set of lobbyists is most effective. But you are really right about the Democrats and the censorship issue. Those clips you played are so telling because they're grilling these executives from YouTube or Twitter and saying, why haven't you banned RT? Why haven't you banned Russia Today from your services? And it's like, this is just a news network. You realize this is also a cable channel that is on in your house as well. Why is it YouTube or Twitter's responsibility to ban those voices? And they were really grilling them as if they have some responsibility. And that's telling because they want this crackdown to happen, not necessarily that they want free speech to reign supreme. And also, we should be careful about our, quote, right to free speech when we're talking about private platforms, because I'm not so sure that Google or YouTube has any allegiances to us. You know, they don't really owe us anything in that regard. If we're going to let them blow up to the level they are and basically dominate the Internet, we should be careful because they are private companies and they aren't beholden to laws like free speech. Absolutely. And that's what scared me so much about those hearings is that as I'm watching it, it's Facebook and Twitter and Google that we're telling our congressmen about the First Amendment and how it works. All it takes is a different group of people in charge of those platforms and everything can change. It should have been the other way around because Google and Facebook and Twitter never took an oath to defend the Constitution. Our representatives did. And so here they are telling these platforms like you should be censoring the Internet. And it's completely backwards to me. And those were the members of the resistance. You know, I played mostly Democratic clips. I had a couple Republicans just because I think it's I mean, Republicans are kind of down with this stuff. I think we know that at this point. But the Democrats, I mean, there's so many people that are acting as if having a D next to your name makes you automatically one of the good guys. And you really have to judge these people by who they are because there were individuals in there. You know, there was Jackie Spear and Dianne Feinstein. And those were the people in particular that were looking for Internet censorship, which we should all be concerned about, considering those are the representatives of Silicon Valley. But at the same time, you do have people like Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders is totally for the First Amendment. He would never ask for RT to be taken off the Internet. So we do have to judge everybody as individuals. The good news for all of us is we only have to deal with three. You have one person representing you in the House, two people representing you in the Senate. Those are the only ones that you have any power over. Those are the only people you have to pay attention to. So it's not as daunting as it seems. But we really need our generation, the younger generation that uses the Internet and understands the Internet, 
we need to be the ones writing this rules. We, we can't have an 80-year-old. So Dianne Feinstein's up for election here in California. I know you're a Californian too. She's going to be 80. <laughs> I don't want her to be doing anything when it comes to legislating the internet. We need to step up and vote. And the best news that I have is that in 2018, for the first time, millennials will outnumber the olds. We will. This is our chance. The only problem with us is this idea that too many of us have that not voting is a good thing. It's actually incredibly destructive because we're allowing our grandparents and our parents who don't understand this stuff to keep writing all the rules. And then we get pissed off that nothing changes. It's like, well, let's, let's elect some people that can change the rules in a way we want them to. And we finally, 2018 is the first time we have the power to do so. And I just... I hope we take advantage of it because the internet, like you said, it's too important to mm-hmm. all of us. It's how we get our news and it's how you and I get paid. <laughs> so. I agree. The small government issues are the ones people should pay the most attention to. And it's actually the opposite. Everybody pays attention to the presidential circus and no one even knows who their local representatives are. And that needs to change for sure. And in terms of net neutrality in these major corporations, Twitter, Facebook, Google, They don't want to have to be responsible for the content of their platform. That would completely cripple them because there's just so much content on there that they're definitely resistant to it. But I would never claim it can't get worse, of course, when Twitter, Google, Facebook, and even Patreon have used their power to suppress voices they don't approve of. We should just be careful with this idea that it's really all that great right now or that it can't get worse. Oh, absolutely. It absolutely can get worse. <laughs> like I said, I'm so concerned watching the people that are in Congress now because I've been, like I said, I've been doing this for five years. I've never seen them focusing on the internet as a threat the way they are this year. There's been a major shift since Hillary Clinton lost where it's like they seem to realize that the internet is how they're going to lose their control over all of us. And that awareness I think is dangerous for us. And so this is the time we need to switch them or else they're going to legislate it in a way that they get their control back. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I also sort of wish people would get more worked up about the control aspects of the internet, the surveillance aspects, the selling of our data. But it seems like people only get upset when you mess with our entertainment options. That's the only time they actually put up a fight. See, I don't know about that. I'm just feeling some outrage overload because it doesn't matter what what topic you bring up. You can get me yelling. (laughs) And so I really I think people care, but there's just a limit to how much we can handle. I mean, FISA needs to be reauthorized at the end of this month, December 31st. Like I said, most dangerous time of the year. So that's the law, specifically the part that says that if you're communicating with someone overseas, the government can collect the contents of those communications. So if you have a friend that's studying abroad in Germany, and you call that person, the government can collect that phone call and just store it, hold on to it for whatever reason, and then sift through it later. And so now the conversation in Congress is whether or not they should require warrants. The House Judiciary Committee does want to require warrants. The House Intelligence Committee, surprise, surprise, does not. But that is one of those things that we could get all upset about. And there's just so many things on our plate that most people don't even know it's happening. And so I don't want to blame us in particular for not getting mad about every single thing. I think you have to pick your issue and vote accordingly and go outside and walk in the sunshine every (laughs) once in a while. Because really at this point, everything is bad. I mean, no matter 
it's so awful to say I don't have a lot of hope except for it's so bad that people that have never voted before, I've seen it in my personal life, people have never voted before that proudly sat on the sidelines are registered to vote in 2018. I think this might be our wake up moment. But as for right now, I'm just trying to pay attention to the stuff that I think is most important, the stuff that I can actually change, which is another reason that I wasn't focusing on net neutrality. I got badgered into doing that episode because we can't change it. Ajit Pai was always going to overturn that regulation. And this is not the Congress that I want legislating it. So I'm doing nothing. I want to affect the things where I maybe can change it. That's not one of them. So I don't know. It's just so hard right now to be like, why don't people care? I think it's because there's too much to care about. It's overwhelming. We kind of have to break it down into little chunks of like, I can affect this. And I think I can affect three people in Congress is a really good place to start because those three people can change everything if you do your job and erect, <laughs> erect, mm. elect the correct three. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I'm with you. I'm with you. I mean, there is a lot of outrage fatigue out there. I've got it. And we are in troubled times. You can only pay attention to so much and you got to unplug eventually. But let's also talk about AT&T because they've been the focus of a couple Ugh. episodes you've done this year, not only in net neutrality, but also the situation with FirstNet. What can you tell us about the history of AT&T and their shady tactics. They have a long-running pattern of using taxpayer money to build their networks and then breaking promises after the fact, don't they? Well, I don't know how AT&T originated. I don't know how much taxpayer money they were using in the beginning. But AT&T, before we were born, was essentially a monopoly. They owned just about every telecommunications wire that we had. And what they were doing is they were gobbling up all of the companies that made the actual equipment. So the telephones, telegraphs, whatever you were using at the time to communicate, they made it so that their wires were only compatible with the equipment that they owned. And so they effectively had a monopoly over our entire telecommunication system. And in the 1980s, they got broken up. So they had to sell. It was called the baby bells when it was done. They had to sell their regional local carriers and they were allowed to keep their long distance and get into the internet. Now, fast forward all these years later, AT&T is now back to buying up different companies. They just bought DirecTV. They're getting bigger and bigger. This is no secret to any of us. With that in mind, I'm going to tell you about FirstNet. Now, FirstNet came out of 9-11. When the towers fell, we found out that our police and our firefighters, basically all our first responders, weren't able to communicate with each other. They all had different equipment and the equipment was old and shoddy and didn't work correctly. And so that was a huge problem when it came to 9-11 because there were people in the second tower that never got word that the first one fell down. And so we had first responders that died needlessly because they didn't even know that the second one was down. And so when it fell, they were still in there assuming that the building was going to stand. So Congress decided to do something that I consider good, which is to create a nationwide first responder network. So that if you're a EMT or a firefighter or a policeman, you would be able to get on this network. It's only for first responders. And it's a way that they can communicate with each other. And it's compatible no matter where you are. So for instance, if we had, oh, I don't know, a giant hurricane come and flood Houston, people from all over the country could come and help that situation and be able to use their equipment to communicate. It's a great idea. So it's called FirstNet. Well, for years and years and years, they've been figuring out how this works. And what they decided this year is that instead of actually building FirstNet, instead of building a network just for our first responders, 
We are instead going to give $7 billion to AT&T and use their network. So the way that this works is that AT&T is quite literally our first responder network. When there is no emergency, AT&T is allowed to use that extra capacity and sell it and profit off of it as their own network. And then in times of emergency, they're going to have the power to kick us regular people off of their network in favor of whoever has whatever kind of code or whatever they're going to use. I don't know the details of what they're planning. This is all quite new. But in whatever way they're going to, they're going to be able to kick us off in favor of these favored people. And you better believe congressmen and their uh, <laughs> their families will probably have the code. But yeah, so instead of actually building this national network, AT&T is now our network. So when you look at the corporatism, I mean, we are now in a very real sense, merging government and corporations to the point that AT&T, are they ever going to be too vital to fail now? If they are our first responder network, how does the free market work? Are we just going to let them fail and let our entire national defense Because when I think about defending the homeland, I do think of walkie-talkies for firemen. I think that's on the list. Are we just going to let them fail? Is the market going to allow that? Or are we now making these corporations so big and so ingrained in our government that we have to prop them up no matter what they do? Discovered that this year. Isn't that fun? (laughs) And it is so concerning because whenever you contract a corporation to do something like this, they're going to do it as cheaply as possible, usually. And they're going to throw the least amount of resources at it just to do the bare minimum because all they care about is corporate profits. And it is such a dangerous game to involve them with something so crucial. I think it's a huge deal. Like you said, it's like, are they too big to fail now? Are they too integrated to fail? And we're Pretty sure that they're not going to get broken up in the future if they become this big monopoly, which they basically are in that realm already with a small cartel of other companies. But they're definitely not going to face the wrath of the U.S. government in terms of breaking them up again, because now they can just make the case, well, we're we're responsible for this giant network and they got us by the balls even more than they might have already. They do. And then you kind of combine that. And I still haven't quite processed what it means. But yesterday, they did overturn the net neutrality regulation. And AT&T is one of the companies that benefits from that. So what are the repercussions of that? You know, so Mm. the rules changed literally in the last 24 hours. We now know that AT&T is our first responder network. I don't know what that means, but all these pieces are just coming together and AT&T wins in every single one of them. Man, (laughs) I'm full of good news. (laughs) (laughs) Of course, of course. Welcome to the Higher Side Chats with Debbie Downer. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is what it is. You know, all you can do is report on it. And yeah. I also wanted to ask you about cryptocurrencies, too. This isn't something you've dedicated an episode to, I know. But as two people who've got a little Bitcoin stuffed in the mattress, largely thanks to our supporters, yeah. uh, regulation is going to be a big factor in how this all shakes out. Have you seen any bills come through that attempt to regulate this stuff in one way or another? No. They don't even know what it is. It's kind of kind of <laughs> like how the internet was operating under the radar. Bitcoin is so far under the radar. These people don't understand it. I don't understand it, to be honest. So no, there's nothing. I think once Goldman Sachs and all of those type of companies get involved in it, as they're planning to do, and I don't quite understand it, they're going to have like a futures exchange and Bitcoin's going to be a part of it. I don't understand it. I thought this whole thing was so that we didn't have to deal with the vampire squid. But I think once those big players get involved, 
then we might see some conversations in Congress. But the good news is, no, I haven't seen a damn thing. (laughs) Well, that's probably good. I mean, they tend to compromise everything. There'll always be something that's a groundswell from the people. And then, of course, they just come in and kind of carve around it and adopt what they need to and cut out the things that are super harmful for them. So I'm pretty confident that, like most things, they'll find a way to manage it and co-opt it. Yeah. The only thing that I know is that if you do take your Bitcoin and turn them into US dollars, you're immediately in the system. It does count as investment income. And right now, the IRS is being given so many tasks and is being underfunded and is having their staffs cut. So they might be too busy to deal with this. But if you are selling your Bitcoin, Mm -hmm. you do need to pay taxes on it. If you just have it sit there... I don't know what the rules are, but I kind of feel like if they can't see it, how do they know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just if you convert it to dollars, just be aware that the IRS is aware that people are making a lot of money on Bitcoin. So if you're cashing out, be aware of that. You could get in trouble with the IRS. If you're just sitting there and watching it, I mean, I don't even know how they would know. But and I'm not an accountant. Like, don't don't like hold me to any of this. But I'm just kind of like looking at my own stuff. Like, I'm just kind of watching what mine do. Like, like you said, I've never bought a Bitcoin, but people have given them to me and I've never touched it. I just kind of like watch it. And so I'm not going to worry about it, but I'm not cashing out. So right on. And another major topic that you covered this year was that Equifax breach. Yeah. And I thought that was an excellent episode. It's something that was glossed over. Yeah, for sure. Thank you. And it's something that was glossed over pretty quickly. And I think it's going to have huge implications for a lot of people that might never be corrected. Over one half of the country had their vital information compromised. And I don't know, we never opted in to begin with. So I'm a little bit pissed about it. But how bad is the situation really? Well, I mean, it was more than half. It was pretty much every adult in the United States had their information taken. And that includes your social security number. And that's a big deal because when it comes to identity fraud, as a recent victim of identity fraud... They really can mess up your life. I mean, they'll open up credit cards in your name. If you have someone's social security number and their birth date, you can pretty much do that anytime you want to. We have no idea who stole the information, but it's out there now on just about every American adult. So the only way that we can protect ourselves is to get credit monitoring, (laughs) which you have to pay Equifax, Experian or TransUnion to do. And so I wanted to see what are these companies and how do they even have my information? And it turns out from the very beginning, it was kind of a rumor mill put together by... But it started small, like 150 years ago. It was businesses kind of saying, yeah, this guy over here is a drunk. He's not going to pay his bills. Like, Just don't do business with him. It started small like that. And then it became a community thing where they had these community meetings where they would have the rumor mill. And then it just became more digitized and countrywide and bigger and bigger and bigger until you ended up having these three companies that are the systematic rumor mill, essentially. So they're collecting a lot of information on us. They're sharing it with the banks to judge their risk of doing business with us. And so yeah, I told the whole history of how that happened. And they've been shady since the very beginning, Equifax in particular. Their cybersecurity was a joke, but there's no repercussions for them. There's nothing in law saying that if you lose every single American social security number, this is the fine for that. You know, there's no per security number fine that they have to pay. And so there's been literally no repercussions. As far as what this means for you, what this could mean is that you get your identity stolen, which 
I'm sorry, but it's now so possible. And the only thing that you can really do, there is a free way. And this was because of a law. This was regulation. This is one of the examples of regulation doing something good for you. By law, these three companies have to give you your credit report once every year. You might remember like freecreditreport.com. Well, that's Mm -hmm. not the website. (laughs) That was Experian tracking you. It's actually annualcreditreport.com. And if you go there, that's how you can get your your credit report for free once every year. And you have to do it now because you have to check and make sure that all those credit cards are yours. You have to check and make sure that you're not racking up debt that you're not even aware of. You have to make sure that no one's taking out a mortgage in your name. I mean, imagine if you own a house and you're $300,000 in debt on it and you don't even know. That's the type of stuff that's possible when someone has your social security and your birthday. And so many people in this country are not aware of that danger. And so yeah, annualcreditreport.com. And then for me personally, I am paying Experian just because I've already had my identity stolen. I know my information is out there and I'm now doing something publicly that pisses people off. And so I'm spending $30 a month to monitor mine and my husband's credit. And I've already noticed things on it. I got my identity stolen last year. And then just now, I had my credit go down by 150 points in one day because I didn't pay a $20 bill that I didn't know about at my dermatologist. So that had nothing to do with identity fraud. But that's the type of thing that ends up on your credit report. And had I tried to get a mortgage or a car loan, my credit dropped so low that I wouldn't have been able to because of that $20 bill. We're just now in the era that we have to watch our credit reports in a way that I don't think we really had to before the Equifax breach. Every single one of us now knows we're in danger, whether you know you can have secure mail, you can do all of the things to protect yourself, but Equifax just screwed it up for you. Oh, man, and I really hate that kind of life maintenance. And I really hate just trying to deal with a major corporation. Just as an example, people write me all the time and they say, hey, did you know that this YouTube channel is rebroadcasting your shows and stripping out all the branding, you should do something about that. And I'm like, yeah, let me just go contact YouTube and get them to work (laughs) on this issue for me. They don't give a fuck. And it's like, I'm not going to waste my whole day going through all this shit, trying to stop somebody from reposting the show. It's just a stupid thing because you can't ever get through to these major companies. And you make a great point. It is the vast majority of people that were affected by this. And this also isn't the only hack. There's plenty of them. So yeah. if it wasn't this one, maybe they'll get you on the next one. But is there any real way to know for sure if we were part of this particular compromised hacker or not? If you've ever opened a bank account, bought a car, rented an apartment, you were affected. Because the way that it works is that it's the banks and the rental companies. And when you sign up for an application, they check your credit. And that's who they're checking it with, Experian, Equifax, and TransUnion. So that's how you opted in. You've never heard of these companies, chances are. But you opted in by doing business with a bank or with a rental company or with a car company or anyone that checks your credit. I mean, I had a Macy's credit card for 5 minutes and they ran my credit. So that is how these companies are getting information on us. You pretty much have to be the Unabomber living in the woods to not have been affected by this one. It was every single person that's done business with a bank. Mm. Man. And, you know, again, one thing I really do love about your show is the clips you play from actual hearings. And on this issue, those clips were quite telling because when the Equifax executives were or this, I guess, particular Equifax executive was being grilled. 
They pulled out some previous quotes from him where he says, fraud is a huge opportunity for us. Fraud protection is an exciting new market. And they went on to show how Equifax, just like you said, now sells fraud protection services. And they actually make more money when they have these breaches because there's zero consequences for it. And they get a surge in all these extra services they sell. Absolutely. Um, Elizabeth Warren did a beautiful job of making this obvious because she just brought up the point that Equifax, in the wake of this, they offered free credit monitoring for one year to anyone who wants to sign up. And I think that one year is almost over. But you could go and you sign up, you get it for a year. And then Elizabeth Warren brought up, but if these people decide to continue with your monitoring service, if even a tenth of them decide to continue, then you just made something like, I don't know, $30 million in profits. I don't remember what the exact number was. But she was just like, you're going to profit from this. And she's like, that just feels so wrong. And yeah, the current law doesn't give us any way to do anything about it. And even now, what's so frustrating is that this happened. And you would think that there would be some kind of follow-up to make a law to put in some kind of punishment for something like this. And there's nothing. There's no one discussing it. There's no one writing it. I mean, maybe a Democrat wrote it, but like it's not being taken seriously by the people in power in the Republican Party. They're doing nothing. They're doing absolutely nothing. It's up to us to protect ourselves now. Right. And what about our freaking privacy? Like, we did not sign up for that shit. It's just, it's so annoying that, you know, you, you can't get out of it and they're not even doing a good job. I agree. Well, like so many things, I guess. <laughs> See, there's so much to be outraged about. <laughs> there is, there is. And, uh, you know, you mentioned this earlier, but another topic you covered was the uh, expanding DNA database. And as you note in those show notes, since 1994, the FBI has maintained a database with samples of DNA taken from convicted criminals in order to match those samples with DNA collected at crime scenes. However, over the course of the last two decades, the DNA database has expanded to include many more people. And this is a concern for sure. But can you elaborate on what bothers you most about this particular DNA database expansion? What bothers me the most is that it started as a DNA database of people who've been convicted of violent crimes. So if you are a rapist, if a jury has said, yup, he did it, then your DNA would stay in the database. This is being expanded to the point that if you get arrested, then you end up in the DNA database. And that is far, far different. I mean, I could be arrested for walking down the street if I look like someone who may have done something. I mean, it's that basic. Like, oh, someone called the cops. There was someone who's six feet tall and white walking down the street. I think she robbed my apartment. I could get arrested for looking like that. They take my DNA. And even though I'm innocent, even though I'm just walking down the street, they already have it. And it's like finders keepers. So that's the part that disturbs me so much. There should be a conviction or something attached to this that says like you are definitely a danger to society. And that way we get to keep your most personal information, your genetic code. But just for being a person that gets arrested, I mean, I've been arrested twice, <laughs> both of them legit. But the second time was because I was protesting in front of the White House. So all I did, like, if you look at the ticket, it says I failure. It was like failure to yield because I stopped walking in front of the White House. You're allowed to walk by it, but you're not allowed to like stay put. That's what I was technically arrested for. If they had decided to take my DNA because this law allows them to have the little printer thing, it used to be a lot harder to take the DNA. But had they chosen to take the DNA of every person arrested that day, because we were under arrest. I mean, I was cuffed. I was taken to a second location. I was fully under arrest. They could have taken my DNA, even though the crime 
was just a misdemeanor and clearly no big deal. I mean, on my ticket, there's also failure to dispose properly of a refrigerator. Mm. That's the level of crime that I committed. So does that warrant them taking my DNA? In my mind, it shouldn't. Rape, murder, fine. Proper disposal of a refrigerator, mm, don't think you need my DNA. That's the concern I have. They're just broadening how many people that can be put in the database. We're getting to a brave new world place here with how many people are going to be able to be collected once they're able to carry these things around in the car. Right. And again, can we really trust these people with that information? I don't think so. No. And, and the results, when they, when even they, they use this stuff, the results aren't even 100%. And the whole culture seems more driven to solidify convictions more than truly finding guilty parties because a lot of times this DNA evidence is used in convictions that are wrong. Yeah, totally. And you also have to remember that DNA is it's shared. I mean, what about twins? <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. like if they just go on fishing expeditions like, oh, we have this person's DNA from this crime scene. They run it through the system. There's going to be people that are just picked out who are totally innocent because they have a twin somewhere. So it's just I don't feel like as a country, we're having these conversations and making these decisions together. They're just happening. Because I know I didn't hear about this on the news and I still haven't heard about this on the news. No one knows that these little printer things are coming to a police station near you. And that's what disturbs me too. Had the news been not focusing on Russia for the last year, we could have had this conversation. We could have done something, but we are not even aware that it's happening. So our corporate media is also failing us in not talking about these things because I'm just some person with a computer. If I can find it, Wolf Blitzer can find it, but they're not trying. And that's frustrating too. Mm. And I saw some other stat that's kind of in this wheelhouse where I think actually John Oliver did a major piece about it, which when he's nonpartisan, I love some of the pieces he does, but I think police seizure is getting so out of control that the last, in the last year, it might have been higher than robbery. The amount of money that people claim was robbed from them was lower than the amount that police seized from people because they determined it to be suspicious. Something like that, but scary stuff. Too much power. Yeah. Essentially, if you have cash in your car, they legally can just jack it. So I still don't understand how that's <laughs> allowed in our system. I know that every single person that I've talked to that is aware that that's happening thinks that it's straight up wrong. And yet, once again, we have a Congress that is largely out of our control, functioning on behalf of the rich and the people trying to keep their power. They're not functioning on behalf of us because we're not paying attention. And that's why this is allowed to remain law. We really, if we want to change the laws that we feel are unfair, we have one way to do that. And that's electing good people to Congress. But votes mm -hmm. are essential. They're absolutely <laughs> essential. And you've made that point a couple of times. And I think you're so right. But I keep beating that drum. But I know our generation and I'm so right. frustrated with it right now that people are still saying that it's okay to not vote. It's not. It's not okay. You have to take some responsibility. I think voting for three people on the national level, I mean, if you're pissed at the federal government, that's how you fix it. You vote for three people. Why is that so hard? <laughs> so you have to. I agree. And you also know your audience. You know, you're here with a bunch of listeners who think that the system is just an energy suck and the best approach is hands off, which I disagree with. That's how we got in this mess. I mean, you got to pay attention or you have zero power, you have zero say. But I guess I would ask you, when it comes to 
refocusing our attention on local government in particular. You're right. It's not that hard to focus on three individual elected people. But do you have any go-to resources or plans of action for people who might be motivated and think, yeah, you know, I am going to start looking at this stuff. How should they start? Well, the first thing you have to do is go to the post office and register to vote because it doesn't matter if you're researching if you're not registered. And most states have these weird deadlines when you have to register by. So the best thing to do is just register now and that way it's done. So that's step number one in any of this. Then on the federal level, which is my thing, I use govtrack.us. It's just aggregating all of the information from the federal government as far as like which bills passed or where they are in the process, how your person voted. But I just really love the way that it looks. It's really user-friendly where the government stuff is not so user-friendly. So it's govtrack.us. And that's where you can look up who your person is, how they voted, the bills they voted on. There's some good summaries, especially of the bills that are big bills, really important ones. I know that they've hired an intern to take those summaries and write them in a way that anyone can understand. And I've read them. They're fair. So I really like that website. On the state level, there's something called Bill Track 50 that does the same thing on a state level. And I haven't played with that so much. I've seen the California one, but it's also, it functions in the same way. You can find out who your state representatives are, what bills they voted on, what they've introduced. That's a good way to judge people. What are the bills that your person is writing? They might not have gone anywhere, but you can really figure out who they are by what changes they are trying to make. So yeah, between govtrack.us and Bill Track 50, I mean, those two resources alone will really help you. And then this is fun too. If you want to look up your congressional representatives and senators and seeing where they're getting their money from, that's opensecrets.org. That's my favorite website because mm-hmm. then you can just poke around and see what industries are funding their campaigns. And you really learn a lot about someone by who they're taking money from. And a lot of times, if you see them writing a corporate favor or writing bills for a certain industry, you can go straight to opensecrets.org. And you can see the connection crystal clear in writing. But when it comes to money, I do it all the time. So yeah, govtrack.us, billtrack50, and opensecrets.org. Right. Opensecrets.org is the kind of thing I was looking for, for sure. That's so important. And it's like, you know, people really love their content curated and your show does a great job. And it's also awesome how you do point out who introduces these bills and you also talk about who's paying them. But we do need like a trustworthy Rotten Tomatoes or Yelp for political corruption and our representatives. But of course, you know, that is an oversimplification also. And who are you going to trust to play that role? Exactly. (laughs) We can't outsource it. You got to actually pay attention. Yeah. But again, when you break it down, it's not that hard. There's only three of them on the federal level. Because like when you see 535 people in Congress, that's overwhelming. But when you break it down to three and realize that those are the only ones you're in charge of, not so hard. I mean, really, you can research this stuff in the day before the election. Takes a couple hours. It's not that hard. (laughs) Fair enough. Well, right on, Jen. Always a pleasure. You do a great public service because you cut through the bullshit and just tell people what's happening on paper. They make it so difficult and tedious to find that information out on purpose. And a person like you is really our best measure against that tactic. So, Before we go, tell the people how to follow up on you and the show, support the project, and maybe let us know about some of the things you're digging into next, if you can. Well, first, I just want to thank you for having me back on. And I can tell you listen to the show. This is one of the most informed (laughs) interviews I've ever done. So thank you for 
supporting me like this. But you can find the podcast itself on congressionaldish.com. It's now available on Spotify and iHeartRadio. And of course, on all of the podcast apps. And as for what's coming, my next episode is a hopeful one. It's coming on Christmas Eve. And I'm actually interviewing a friend of mine who's running for Congress. We talk about the process of that and what it's like. And she's a really good person. So we're ending on a high note. And then we're starting the year with probably a lot of bad news because I'm going to read the NDAA over Christmas. And that's the National Defense Authorization Act. And this is what gives our government the permission that they need to continue our war things. So I always learn a lot about where our government is. Um, I can tell you right now that they gave us a list in one of the hearings. We're in 19 countries right now, troops on the ground. So I'll definitely be looking into that. It's going to take me about a month to do. But that's the big project I'm working on now is the NDAA, which was signed two days ago into law. Right. Another one of those great, massive package deals that we get to deal with. 786 pages. Merry Christmas to me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I definitely appreciate you doing it. And this has been awesome. I do like keeping Congressional Dish in my rotation. It's an awesome resource and you've done a great job growing it. So congrats and keep doing what you do. Thank you so much. You got it. Holy Babylon and Black Mirror. Here it is, lords and ladies. The last THC of 2017. Man, I hope you liked it. I know the audience gets a bit split when they feel like an episode is overly political, but I would categorize this as legislative rather than political. Political is the drama and the Washington, D.C. circus. Legislation is what actually happened. It's what the politics are designed to distract you from. Why would anyone say that a well-spoken, definitely well-informed guest who can talk to us about those details of what our government is actually doing isn't something we should have in the rotation? I know I've said we don't have to guess a lot lately in several shows because so many recent episodes have been about looking at the documents and the history. Remember Matt Landman and the geoengineering episode? It was a walkthrough of patents and military weather projects. So when someone mocks us for thinking chemtrails and geoengineering is a real thing, you just show them the documents and it's not a debate. See, Alex Jones was right all along. Same with Dr. Colin Ross. We talked largely about the facts and what the declassified documents do show. Sure, you can extrapolate from there, but the facts give you a great base to not sound so crazy over the holidays when you try to tell mom and dad about entity invocation through mental trauma while you carve the roast beast. But a lot of listeners have asked me to have Jen on again, and personally, I think she's pretty measured. You will have some thin-skinned Trump diehards who can't stand her criticism of the Republicans. But that's who's pushing this stuff through, so what are you supposed to do? You know that she also gets a ton of shade from her listeners for not rallying around Hillary Clinton. It's like if you try to be anywhere near the center, you're not extreme enough for either side. I kind of get that too. But if you stuck around to hear the segment about the Russia scandal and the geopolitics of that, I think it's clear that she's not blinded by ideology, because every liberal under the sun that I know of is drinking that Trump is a Russian agent Kool-Aid hard. Because they heard it from Chris Matthews and Rachel Maddow, and it sounds good to them. They want it to be true. And we did that a lot in 2017. We trusted untrustable people because they told us something we wanted to be true. Something we wanted to hear. We say on one hand, we don't trust the elite, and they play this ridiculous long game, and everything is planned out in Bilderberg and CFR meetings years in advance. But Bitcoin is here to save us all. (laughs) People have written me saying that clearly I don't understand blockchain technology, and I always hate that. Telling someone, 
Your opinion is different, so clearly you just don't understand. How about I know it just as well as you, asshole, and I just conclude differently? How about that? With the crazy rush to cryptocurrency, nobody knows which one will really reign supreme, and many of them will work with the big banks. Many of them are not decentralized. Don't you think it's even possible that this Bitcoin situation was engineered and that when the time comes, they'll either add new layers to the Bitcoin protocol that, quote, solves problems and also puts it under their control? Or Bitcoin will become the Lycos or the Netscape or the AOL or the MySpace of this blockchain technology and another coin will come out in front. Maybe Bitcoin Cash, maybe Ripple, but something that is more controllable. I'm willing to bet. I mean, the whole game is global financial slavery. It has been for decades. You think if Bitcoin was really this hero rising from the darkness that they'd open up cryptocurrency exchanges at Wells Fargo and start trading it on Wall Street? Ding, ding, ding. Think about that. I'm not saying that you can't make money or that the technology of digital cash person to person with no intermediary isn't awesome. It's totally awesome. In fact, I've seen people make life-changing amounts of money. Seeing some new projects coin that's trading for one cent or ten cents, buying a couple thousand of them and watching it soar to seven, ten, twenty bucks? Yeah, you can make thousands of dollars in weeks right now with this stuff. You just need to educate yourself on it like yesterday. Believe me, I'm a holder with the best of them, but it's naive to think that this couldn't possibly have anything to do with the elite's very real plan to get rid of cash and control all currency digitally, tie it in with their other programs, and convince everyone to deal with the risk and stress of being their own private bank without any legal recourse when you wake up and the ones and zeros tell you your money is gone. Where do you go? We may hate the fractional reserve banking system, but aren't you at least a little relieved that your life savings are secured and insured? We can talk about bank runs, but when was the last time that happened? And I can hear some of you screaming now, but Bitcoin is unhackable. You don't understand the encryption. To be honest, guys, do you understand the encryption, or are you just parroting something you heard from Andreas Antonopoulos because you want it to be true? The Titanic was an unsinkable ship, too, but the game plan of the elite is to make things sound impossible and then turn them on their head. Well, we just didn't know this could happen. Oops. Look, it's not about categorizing something all good or all bad. It's just really about looking at what's happening. And it is just like the dot-com bubble. It's a mad dash to use this blockchain technology in interesting ways. A lot of these companies will go under, but you can also make a lot of money by getting there early. Again, just like the internet was this freedom-giving wrapper on a deep state surveillance and data mining monster. I think the Bitcoin and blockchain technology are going to have the exact same parallels when this is all said and done. Don't just accept something because you want it to be true. It's convenient to believe it. This goes for the recent Pentagon disclosure, too. People have asked me if I'm going to do a show on this. Well, I'm sure it's going to come up, but I don't think it's wise to help fuel Pentagon propaganda. They put out this story and they are just hoping every conspiracy and paranormal show just falls in line and basically vouches for them. I'm not going to do that. But they tell us they ran a program to investigate UFOs called the Advanced Aviation Threat Identification Program in the 2000s. They release a few UFO clips that are fine, but I've seen better. They say they spent $22 million on this program, which is nothing. And they say that even though they found UFOs, filmed UFOs, admitted that they don't know where they come from and they can't be the technology of any known country, they stopped the program because, to paraphrase, higher priority issues came up. 
Well, what the fuck does that mean? What's higher priority than that if you've got the proof of something else out there? It just doesn't make sense. And now people who 99 days out of 100 will say never trust the Pentagon, never trust the deep state. Everything they do is a lie and public manipulation and cultural steering. I never trust those assholes. Well, until they tell me something I want to hear, then I trust them. There's good people in there trying to get the truth out. I heard it from Tom DeLong. <laughs> I'm fucking around, but it is true that now CNN, Fox News, and goddamn Good Morning America are showing you UFO footage and telling you about this program. Believe me, that's very exciting. I'm loving it, and it's great for business, right? But you can't take it at face value. This is a calculated decision, and we can't really know why it happened until we see what comes next. But keep your guard up. We're in the digital age, and manipulation has never been easier or more finely tuned. So be cautious of disclosure, be skeptical of cryptocurrency, and be critical of mainstream news narratives like Trump is a Russian agent. Didn't think I was going to be able to bring that long-winded, rambling rant back around, did ya? Well, it's the last show of the year, so believe it. The thing about Trump and international business deals is I just think that's been par for the course for years, and it's really convenient to pin it all on Trump like it hasn't been going on for decades. And that's why I think it's just not a big deal. There's probably grains of truth, but it's just like, who's surprised by that? And when you see them trying to force that round peg in the square hole so hard, you gotta just step back and say, you know, what is going on here? So these are my stupid stoner college dropout thoughts on things. Don't rush to adopt opinions because you just don't know where they're really coming from sometimes. And I think Jen is a valuable guest because again, we just talked about the corruption on paper. No need to huff and puff and speculate and say Trump is the devil and just chalk it up to some fun to say over the top political cliche. Just the facts, ma'am. <laughs> and people are going to comment on Jen's push to get people to vote. Happens every time, but like she said, it's the local elections we need to focus on, and I completely agree there. The fact is, there are many pockets of this country where people have things that you don't because they demanded it locally. Fiber internet, legalized marijuana, banned abortions, whatever you want, whatever you need. You can make those alterations if you're involved. Small victories in a largely one-sided war. Fuck it. We did record this show before the tax bill had passed, but she was right, it did. Some think this is the whole reason Trump was elected, to pass this tax plan to better secure elite wealth, because that's what they care about, right? Especially when they're worried about volatile economic times. So yeah, we all get like a 2% tax break, but don't let them piss down your face and tell you it's rain, or something like that. It's like a guy robs a bank for a million bucks and throws you a couple 20s on his way out the door to keep your mouth shut about it. We've been bribed into complacency. Anyway, in this episode, a lot of good things I think were covered. AT&T, Equifax, net neutrality, another one of these bait-and-switch issues. Either way, I know there is a lot of value in this show, even if it's not aliens from the inner earth and the reptilian origins of the elite. We got plenty of time in 2018 for that, believe me. So that's the show. We've gone deeper than deep this year. I think we upped the overall sound quality. I think we made the website better, made the plus process better, added a really nice forum. Also, a listener by the name of Gabriel Zeros asked if he could start a THC Facebook group, which I have no problem with. I just can't maintain any more pages with all this shit. But he did it, and 
all of a sudden, over 500 people are talking about the higher side chats, and I get a thousand notifications an hour, which is a little annoying, but fuck it. It's better than GameStop, right? So I think we keep growing, keep moving in the right direction. I did a couple of live shows. That was new for me and a set at the Legendary Comedy Store this year. That's not nothing. And now you can sign up for Plus through Patreon. And we're also upgrading the servers. So you might see some weird behavior over the next couple of days. But I've already been on the Plus site on the new server and it loads a lot faster. So that's great too. We got a stellar server guy who reached out to me as a listener I won't say his name because sometimes people like their privacy, but we have him to thank for a lot of things this year. And fuck Bluehost. Don't ever work with fucking Bluehost. Also, another listener who does data analytics for some pretty huge companies out there also is helping me to fine-tune the whole THC Plus infrastructure. So, I really couldn't be happier. Got married over the summer and had a hell of a week-long party with many friends who've never been to California all at once. Nabbed a great wife, too, by the way. So I know there's a lot of bad things going on in the world, but I try to keep my bubble tight and distance myself from the system, guard myself from it as much as I can. And really, I can't complain right now. I hope a lot of you guys are making moves, too. It's an uphill battle, more than it has been in previous decades, but I still get a lot of emails of people ditching the 9 to 5, distancing themselves from the system and the corporate products that fuel the machine. A lot of people have been inspired to take better care of themselves and get out into nature and keep at it. The value in going down deep, dark rabbit holes is to do something with it, not to just get paranoid and depressed. So keep your pimp hands strong, and if you like THC, please sign up for Plus in the new year. You're missing a lot, and I only ask for a little. Five shows for $5. In today's second half, Jen got into her Puerto Rico coverage and disaster relief, tracking the tug of war over healthcare this year and where we now stand, the Democrats' obsession with making a Russian scandal stick instead of running the country, changes to veteran treatment and the programs there, We talked about the prospect of impeachment. Is it all hot air or are the wheels in motion? And of course, the weed issue and the clauses that are actually keeping Jeff Sessions at bay, also subject to change in the latest government funding bill. I'm going to have to find out what happened there. But as always, all good stuff. Big thanks to Jen. Check out Congressional Dish to keep informed throughout the chaos and go forth to drink a little drink, smoke a little smoke and have a happy new year, you crazy animals. I've done my part. Your move, backdoor dealers, corporate cocksuckers, and corrupt councils and cabals of the legislative process. Your fucking move. This is important. Hear what I said. I'm trying to tell you. It's not paranoia, not in my head. It's just the hard truth. Knocked on your door while I still can. To ask you a question. I know your head is still in the sand Don't be sheep to your slaughter for the rest of your life Oppressed, oppressed, but you're getting woke You say you don't want to be stressed until the day you die Tough luck, my friend Did you get the memo? Can't you see that we're so screwed? Don't you know we're our kung food? Can't you just admit we're screwed? I'm gonna tell you this anyway It's a scary dark world Scarier every day Scary dark world No matter what you say Scary dark world
don't have a choice. It seems we're stuck here, but you can find noses, drown out the noise. Now use that altar, and up your magic ink, and listen to THC, you know, you go with the entities. If you ever see the UFO, don't be sheep to your slaughter for the rest of your life, oppressed, oppressed, but you're getting woke. You say you don't want to be stressed until the day you die. Tough luck, my friend. Did you get the memo? Can't you say that we're so screwed? Don't you know we're our kung food? Can't you just admit we're screwed? I'm gonna tell you this anyway. It's a scary dark world. It's scarier every day. Scary dark world. No matter what you say. Scary dark world. Don't think we'll be okay. Can't you see that we're so Did you get the memo? Can't you say that we're so- 